Hey, hon. Hope all is well. It's been a long time since we were on the softball team together, but I love seeing pictures of you and your daughter and husband on Facebook. I wanted to reach out because I have this amazing opportunity I want to share with you. It's a nutrition, skincare, and cosmetics company that I started. It is seriously the best. I am so passionate about it. I know it's been 15 years since we've seen each other, but I'm having a party at my house on Sunday. You should come. You can try all of the products. I love the shakes. They're so delicious. They can also help you drop some of that baby weight I've noticed you've been carrying around. I mean, wouldn't it be so great to not go to the gym and be able to stay home with your daughter instead? But seriously, my life's never been better. I just love to share it with you because my team of boss babes is recruiting for the ground floor and you'd be so perfect. There's seriously never been a better time to join. I am making bank and you can too. Will I see you Sunday? Let me know. Sound familiar? It should. Nearly one in three people have been pressured by a family member or a friend to buy from their multi-level marketing company, or MLM. Don't worry. This isn't a sales pitch. I'm Stephanie Simkos, and I'm a reporter at Yahoo Finance. I've closely followed retail and personal finance news for the last few years. Even though MLM sales represent less than 1% of all retail sales in the United States, this world has caught my attention. The MLM industry is such an insignificant blip in the U.S. economy that if it disappeared tomorrow, nothing would really happen. But there's a lot lurking beneath the surface of your sister-in-law or high school friend's saccharine social media post. And you know the kind I'm talking about. The emoji-heavy post to describe how her world went from black and white to technicolor, all thanks to her Shakeology or It Works raps. The truth is, MLMs often become vicious traps that cost women their finances and their friendships. From Yahoo Finance, this is Illegal Tender, Season 4. In this series, I say MLM. But that's inclusive of direct sales companies and network marketing companies and referral marketing and person-to-person sales. All those things mean the same thing. There are all these different terms because some MLMs don't want the stain that comes with being an MLM. You're also going to hear distributor and consultant used interchangeably. Those also mean the same thing, and they serve the same function. In this series, you'll hear from three women and their MLM experiences. As you get to know them, you'll hear them get emotional when they share about how their friendships were manipulated and ultimately destroyed over MLMs. You'll also hear from the experts. A lawyer who spent three decades representing ex-MLM distributors. A professor of business who's closely followed MLMs for over 30 years. A longtime consumer advocate and an expert who draws the parallel between cults and MLMs. 
But before we get to all that, we need to understand why anyone would join one of these in the first place. So it was late in 2018, sometime in the fall, August, September, sometime around there. A former coworker of mine added me to a party on Facebook, um, which I'm sure everybody's thinking, oh, yeah, I've been there. Get added to about, you know, two to three parties every week, probably. So same thing with me. I got added to a Color Street party. I'd never heard of Color Street before. So my view of it was I can share this with other people that like it and get a discount on the product. And the way it was pitched to me was, oh, absolutely, you can do this as a hobbyist. It's totally fine to do it that way. We're, we won't pressure you to have any quotas, and you don't have to recruit anyone. This is Jessica. We'll leave it at that because she's asked us to not reveal her last name. But for context, she's a stay-at-home mom in Michigan who joined Color Street. That's an MLM that sells nail decals in 2018. MLMs aren't just for people like Jessica. We spoke to Kayla Imhoff. She's a grad student in San Diego. When she was an undergrad, she was laid off from her retail job. She was feeling a bit panicked about the thought of repaying her student loans after graduation. So she answered a Facebook message from an acquaintance. It was it was somebody I've known for a long time. We kind of have fallen out of contact, but I saw her posting a lot about um, this business that she had started. And she was saying, you know, um, she, was, she was just really blessed that this opportunity had come into her life. And she just had all these business partners and she was just really enjoying what she was doing. And I, I immediately was interested. I was kind of like, wow, like that sounds like a really cool thing. And I was really impressed that she had, I, from what it looked like, she had started her own business. And finally she reached out to me and it was just kind of, you know, hey, how are you doing? Um, I really want to catch up. I want to tell you about this opportunity. Let me take you out to lunch. The third voice is Tiffany St. Lawrence. In 2014, she moved from Virginia, where her family's from, to California, where her husband's family lives. When, after my husband and I got married, we were living in, in Redwood City in California, and it was just not affordable to stay down there. So we actually moved um, about an hour and a half north where we could afford to buy a home. And I helped open a brand new restaurant in Napa Valley. And so the, the chef and owner, his wife worked or used to work with Mary Kay. I also don't know why she's left at this point. But she would bring up um, she would bring up Mary Kay to all of the females in the restaurant on a regular basis, and then even try and convince the guys to, you know, buy products for their wives or girlfriends or their mothers. Or she kept talking about it, and I have always loved to wear makeup since I was a little girl. So I thought maybe if I sign up for it, at least I would get some decent makeup at at a discounted price. Now we know why and when they got involved. Here's a little primer on what they got involved in. I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss where MLMs fit into the zeitgeist and how they came to be. MLMs have existed in their own world, 
And the only mainstream attention they normally receive is when they're getting ripped on. Schitt's Creek, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and The Office all have episodes where one of the main characters gets swept up in an MLM. Phil recruited me to sell these cards, and now I am recruiting you. Who is this guy again? Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He is doing just fine. It sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes, thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. They lose their money and all credibility. But then 30 minutes later, the whole thing is over, and everyone had a good laugh at the expense of that character's misfortune. So if that's all you know, it doesn't seem so bad. Actually, it's pretty funny. If you don't happen to catch a piece of pop culture that spoofs an MLM, these things are out of sight, out of mind. So let's think about this. We don't see these products in stores. We don't hear MLM advertisements on TV or radio. The products aren't miraculous or life-changing. And the demand is weak. You would never know that there's something else going on here. However, MLMs are sending women into spirals of debt. We all have that friend or relative who uses social media as their personal digital storefront to sell LuLaRoe's psychedelic leggings, cosmetics from Arbonne and Unique, essential oils from doTERRA and Young Living, skincare products from Rodan and Fields, shakes from Beachbody, nail decals from Color Street. I could keep going, but I'm going to stop myself there. These distributors are the 21st century Tupperware ladies. And instead of hosting parties in living rooms, they have taken over social media to peddle their wares. But none of this is news, right? And no, social media isn't to blame here, but it certainly didn't help. MLMs are so interwoven in the American narrative that we had to travel back all the way to the 1800s to understand how we got to today's Hunbots. That's what internet culture less than affectionately calls MLM merchants. We start with the grittier side of American history. The stories that don't make the history textbooks because these folks weren't exactly upstanding individuals. Their stories are ones of grifters, con artists, scammers, quacks, opportunists, fleecers, charlatans, You get the idea. The term snake oil salesman is typically a dig, but you might not know where it comes from. Snake oil is a catch-all term used to describe a product that promises the moon and the stars, but it leaves you with buyer's remorse. But it wasn't always that way. In the 1800s, an influx of Chinese people came to the U.S. as indentured laborers, to build the Transcontinental Railroad. And with them, they brought a centuries-old Chinese remedy, snake-derived oil loaded with omega-3s. The oil, which is still used today, has anti-inflammatory properties and eases aching joints, two ailments that totally track with manual laborers who worked long shifts while exposed to the elements. Historians say that the Chinese shared their homemade oil with the Americans, 
who marveled at the effects. But it took a couple of bad actors to ruin it for everyone and turn something that was really useful into something that was synonymous with a hoax or ruse. Snake oil took off, and scammers, who sometimes traveled by covered wagon, created knockoffs of concoctions with questionable ingredients and sold the products to the gullible masses. But of course these products didn't work. Of course these claims were bogus. And... As soon as there were rumblings of complaints from dissatisfied customers, there was zero recourse because the salesman was usually nowhere to be found. In darkness of night, he'd hightail it out of there, set his course for a new town, and repeat the whole thing over again. In the 19th century, snake oil salesmen were a nebulous group, and no one individual emerged from that bunch. But that all changed with an Italian immigrant named Charles Ponzi. In 1920, he was able to amass an estimated $15 million by persuading tens of thousands of Bostonians that he had unlocked the secret to wealth— His clients were seeing ridiculous profits on investments in postal coupons. Amid the mania, what they didn't know was that it was all smoke and mirrors. All Ponzi was doing was shuffling money from new investors to old ones. The operation folded. Ponzi was convicted of mail fraud and deported back to Italy. But his wheeling and dealing left such an indelible mark that his name became synonymous with swindling and scamming. In the 21st century, another Ponzi scheme made headlines. But this time, it wasn't limited to Boston. It lasted for nearly two decades and bilked thousands of people out of millions of dollars. Bernie Madoff, con man and thief extraordinaire, was able to sustain Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, LLC, which is really nothing more than an elaborate Ponzi scheme. It met its demise during the financial crisis of the 2000s. Too many of his fund's investors wanted liquidity, so they asked Madoff for their money back. This is a reasonable request, except Madoff was pinched. He wasn't able to keep up with the cash payouts, because more money was exiting than it was entering. Madoff confessed to his family that the whole thing was a lie. His adult sons, who also worked for him, but claimed their innocence in the scam, turned their dad into the police, and Madoff was convicted. He's currently serving a 150-year sentence for defrauding thousands. So stay with me on this. We're talking about generations of cheaters who fraud the masses. The snake oil grifters of the 19th century, they gave way for Ponzi in the 20th century, and Ponzi-inspired modern criminals like Madoff. And somewhere in that timeline, another cheater is responsible for creating yet another type of fraud that implicates the masses. And that fraud is the pyramid scheme. Generally, it's harmless, but it becomes harmful when money's on the line. I'll let Robert Fitzpatrick talk. He's the president of Pyramid Scheme Alert. That's a consumer advocacy organization. 
A pyramid scheme uh, is fairly easy to define. Everybody has some understanding of that. They are illegal. They are inherent frauds. They are inherently deceptive. They are um, the simplest explanation, robbing Peter to pay Paul. That is an enterprise in which people would invest and um, promise to return, and they have to pay money. Um, And the return depends entirely on new investors coming into the same plan. So any money they gain is based on getting some of the money from the people who come in after them. So the consequences of a pyramid scheme are loss for the great majority that get involved. That's inevitable. That can't change. That will always happen. MLM defenders are all too eager to point out that MLMs are not pyramid schemes. And because I don't want to get sued, I'll go on record to say that they are indeed different. So how exactly are these two seemingly identical business models different? Robert can help us out again. Well, in general, the government uses a theoretical definition of it. That is, it defines multi-level marketing as a sales organization. It does have products. They all almost all have products. They sell products. So it's a business that sells products, but it has a unique, and I mean completely unique, structure and pay plan that you will not see anywhere else in the entire business world. That unique structure Robert's talking about is what makes an MLM an MLM. And he's right. Pyramid schemes don't sell a product. MLMs do. Let's all learn some MLM language before we go on. You'll hear me talk about upline. Your upline is everyone above you in the chain. Everyone below you, that is if you're successful at recruiting, and I'll get to that in a bit, is called your downline. It's a mystery why MLM distributors call themselves self-employed entrepreneurs when there's clearly a defined structure and hierarchy in place. But at any rate, chalk it up as the first of many dizzying MLM paradoxes. One other factor of multi-level marketing is that um, you can theoretically sell your products. That is, you could buy the product from the company or you can get the product from the company and sell it to customers. So it has a retail component to it. Um, However, I've been studying them for 20 years. I've looked at over 400 of them in detail. And I've been involved in 32 court cases over this time. And I've conferred with literally thousands of people involved. And I've never found one person yet or one company yet in multi-level marketing where anybody actually does make money from just retailing the product. Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes, and MLMs all overlap because they're based on the endless chain. That means that there's no end to the people who can join and the money that can be made. But stop. We know that is impossible because nothing is actually endless. 
Infinity does not exist in our finite world. Robert went on to explain in our chat that if each recruit were to recruit five people and those five people were to recruit five people each, that chain would eclipse the world's population after 13 cycles. You'll soon learn that the MLM industry is anything but transparent. And that begins with the industry's muddied origin story. It's said to have originated in the 1930s when an American expat observed the Chinese lifestyle and diet. His creation was a dietary supplement that was said to provide people who took it with important nutrients regardless of their eating habits. The mendacity didn't stop there, and he also said that this pill was supposed to cure depression, irregular heartbeat, tonsillitis, and something like 20 other ailments. This company was called Neutralite, and the supplements were sold through a network of commissioned salespeople who were also incentivized to recruit more salespeople. Unsurprisingly, Neutralite got in a lot of trouble for its bogus health claims, but two of its young salesmen stuck around long enough to learn the business model and then copy it. Learning from Neutralite's sins, friends Rich DeVos and Jay Van Andel formed their own company, but this time they steered clear of health claims, first selling detergent and cleaning products, Amway, the godfather of MLMs, was founded in 1959. Before you knew it, Amway expanded its product line to toiletries, electronics, furniture, jewelry, cosmetics, pots and pans. I mean, by and large, anything you could buy from a Sears, Amway also sold its own version, but through an independent distributor. Theoretically, Amway products could be retailed, just like Sears. But Amway's back-channel pitch was, why would you work hourly at Sears when you can earn from sales and the sales of those you recruit to also sell Amway? Old guard MLMs like Tupperware, Avon, and Mary Kay were among the first to replicate Amway's distributor model and formulated products to appeal to a certain segment of the population. Now, what demographic overwhelmingly purchases cosmetics and household products? Women. Let's be clear here. There's never a chicken or the egg when it comes to MLMs. The industry 1,000% follows the crowd and does not set trends. We know this because athleisure predates LuLaRoe leggings, and meal replacement bars existed long before Beachbody. Those trends have been commodified by an MLM company, packaged and then sold by a distributor with a social media filter. But I digress. Back to Amway. The company spread rapidly in the 60s and 70s, and it was presented as an income opportunity. We know that this is the time when women begin joining the workforce on a much larger scale. We also know that women were heavily discriminated against in salary and opportunity when compared to males. But this isn't an issue of yesteryear. This still happens. In 2018, 
over 57% of women participated in the labor force, yet earned about 20% less than men. Societally, women are still looked upon as the family member who takes on the lion's share of housekeeping, child-rearing, education, caring for aging parents, and so on. So enter the MLM. It's an opportunity that's presented as owning your own small business. Flexible work arrangements, no required training, minimal startup costs, and unlimited income. Seriously, who wouldn't take that bait? Now, MLMs aren't meant inherently for women. But you can see just based on the promises MLMs have made since its age of dawn, there's a lot there that appeals to women. That is, if any of its promises were true. Here's Robert again to explain what's happening here. It's a person-to-person business without training. These are commodity products. They are non-technical products. They are household products. And so when you step back and look at what are the products that this multi-level marketing business is utilizing... Well, they turn out to be household items, clothing items, cosmetics, and health products. So you have an economic advantage, let's say, uh, let's say a a greater economic appeal. This particular form of scheme would appeal to women more. So for 60-odd years, MLMs have cropped up like Hydra's head. You cut one, four more grow and shape-shifted, responding to market demands. But the pitch remains identical. Work as little or as much as you want, and you'll get out of the business what you put into it. So it's no coincidence that MLMs are proliferating as the cost of childcare is soaring. Many two-parent households are forced to make a really tough call. Should both parents work outside the home and pay for childcare? Or should one stay home and then eliminate that cost? It feels like the appropriate time to mention that the United States doesn't have federally mandated paid family leave. And that brings us to today. Three in four of the country's independent distributors are women. We know that they're mostly white and between the ages of 35 and 54. All this data comes from the Direct Selling Association. That's the industry's trade organization. So your long-lost friend from high school, the military spouse, your sister-in-law who is on long-term disability, and the women who, for whatever reason, are in transitional seasons of their lives, get recruited as foot soldiers in the six-million-strong MLM army. They shamelessly spam their networks to shill, of all things, face wash. But more so, they want to become your self-appointed life coach and get you to also sell life-affirming face wash. They speak a unique language and use fourth-wave feminism rally cries like girl boss and boss babe and fake it till you make it. These mantras have been co-opted by the MLM community to sell nothing more than a fantasy. With only $49, you'll get a starter kit. And then you can become the president, founder, and CEO of your own business. With liberal use of the word empowerment, 
MLMs sell women a special kind of product. Themselves. The hashtag mombas and hashtag side hustle. That content promises entrepreneurship, but it isn't limited to the social media profiles of the distributors. No, no. Marketing materials and literature that's from the MLM companies is packaged in pastels and curly cue fonts and claim that women can have it all and all they have to do is say yes. But what are they saying yes to? Because it sounds like it's more of an endeavor that's kind of a cutesy hobby that just kind of pays you. And all they have to do is, quote, share the opportunity. And somehow, that enables them to raise their children and make an income by not having a job outside of the home. An MLM recruitment pitch draws a solid line from your fluorescent cubicle to just play with makeup all day. Yep, you will emancipate yourself from the monotonous 9 to 5, so say goodbye to your dreadful boss in rush hour traffic because you'll be able to work from your smartphone while your baby is napping. You'll inspire others. You will be a coach. Becoming an MLM distributor doesn't come with any of the rigorous legwork associated with actually being a business owner or a franchisee. There's no business plan. There's no concept in need of proofing. No focus groups. No product development. There's no patent. No research and development. No competitive analysis. No zoning to prevent market saturation. I mean, there's not even a job interview. MLMs will take anybody with cash or credit to put up for a starter kit. Zero vetting required. So then what happens? You have been sold on an idea, a dream, an opportunity. You're about to tell your boss to take a hike. But no one's told you what you're actually going to do you get taken. In our next episode, we hear what it's like to be inside an MLM. They expect you to be all in. um, And if you're not, like you're kind of not worth their time because you're not, you know, you're not hungry enough. Anytime like things didn't go well, it was pretty much your fault they 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 wouldn't say it in like those exact words but the blame was on you illegal tender is made by yahoo finance at our studios in new york city this episode was written and hosted by me stephanie simkos illegal tender was created edited and produced by alex sugg thank you to robert fitzpatrick doug brooks bill keep and rick ross for sharing your knowledge And thank you to Kayla Imhoff, Tiffany St. Lawrence, and Jessica for putting it all out on the line and sharing your stories. If you enjoyed this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review for the show. Until next time, thank you for listening to Illegal Tender.